Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And we are bringing you another, well, we are, I'm going to bring us another old timey. That was our theme this week. Old timey. Kicking yeah. it old school. Yeah. It's a good one. Yep. That's, I think that's what it is. Because this case that I have for you today is from 1891. Oh, wow. I had found the Sarah Brennan case first and then stumbled across this one down the same rabbit hole and was like, okay, well, let's just make this a thing for the week. Let's do it. We're, and I liked that it took place in Salem, Virginia. Oh. I don't know why. I just That's like, always a good place to I have like, a case. Yeah, I like Salem, Virginia. So I'm going to take you to April 4th, 1891 in Salem, Virginia. When a young black woman named Susan Watkins arrived in town. For the first time in Salem, Virginia, she was noticed because she was going from business to business and different person to different person looking for Charles Watkins, her husband. So she's asking people, have you seen my husband? I mean, small town, it kind of gets people talking a little bit, you know, and it's unusual for a wife to not know where her husband is at. Right. Right. Um, They actually, when she's going from person to person and place to place asking, she was describing her husband, Charles Watkins, as being mulatto because he had Caucasian and African-American parentage. And so they wanted to know, or you know, she wanted to know like, okay, maybe you've seen him, maybe you've taken notice of this. And he has a friend named Benjamin Wright. Do you know Ben and do you know my husband? Now, As she continues to do this, obviously people start talking and someone speaks up and is like, are you the person that's looking for Benjamin Wright? And um, she's like, well, yes, that that is me. And he's like, "Okay, I know where Ben lives and I will give you that information. But he first let Benjamin know, like there's a woman looking for you, says she's looking for her husband, uh, Charles Watkins. Like, is it okay if I give your information, you know, where you live? He did ask permission. And Benjamin Wright was like, yeah, you absolutely can tell her where I live and and where to find me. Because Benjamin is like, yes, I absolutely know a Charles Watkins. But I also already know his wife. So it's weird that this woman, this Susan, is coming into town asking where her husband is. Right. Mm -hmm. Susan goes to his home. And she introduces herself, tells him that she's the wife of Charles Watkins and that he left her some months ago, several months ago, and that she believed that he had run off with another woman. Now, Benjamin is like, I am sorry, but we've got people mixed up. I don't believe this because I know Charles, but Charles has introduced me to his wife, Edith. She's a beautiful white woman. And so Susan reached into her bag that she was carrying and hands Benjamin a piece of paper. It is a marriage certificate for Susan and Charles Watkins. Both parties had signed it and she lets him know, I am here with every intention to save my marriage, which I'm sure came as quite a shock to Benjamin. I'm sure it did. Also, wild time like you just produce a piece of paper and I'm like no I'm that right (laughs) I'm his wife that easy right right so Susan says listen we used to live in Chicago and Charles met a woman named Edith uh, Freibel F-R-I-E-B-E-L Freibel maybe maybe free or Freibel Edith I'm I'm confident with with Edith. Edith he said you know Edith was a German woman and that they fell in love with one another. And the reason that this happened is because Susan was working outside of the home to make ends meet. And while she was doing so, Charles and Edith were skirting around behind her back. And they made plans to run off together. And that's exactly what they did. And she is hoping to come to this town of Salem, Virginia, confront them both. And ask Edith to back down and go away and give her her man's back. Okay. 
remember times are different. This is 1891. 2022, Amber and Charnel would have been like, take him, Edith. He doesn't <laughs> want me. <laughs> you can have you him. You deal with the snoring and ED. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But we're talking about a different time. Mm-hmm. You fight for your man. Right. Exactly. Yes. It's not the way that it is today where we know we could do better than right. a man who doesn't want us in return. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, Benjamin's like, uh, okay, okay. You know, he's really feeling uncomfortable with this. He's like, you're really going to come into town and try to dissolve Charles and Edith's marriage? Because Benjamin fully believes that Charles and Edith are married. So he is like a little defensive. Like, no, you're not going to come here and do this. He had like figured that he that, that she was kind of mad you know, kind of crazy. He kind of expected that reaction out of himself, but he decided to kind of give her the benefit of the doubt. I mean, she is a woman that might have played a part of it, but he also felt like he saw a vulnerability in her. Like, what if this is true? The other thing is that he knew that Charles, in the short time that he'd known him, he also knew that he wasn't the most honest man. He had seen him be deceitful before. He just didn't want to believe that it was this bad. I see. So he's like, you know what? Not a problem. We're going to clear this up. I'll just go ahead and take you to Charles. Because he's legitimately like, this could be a misunderstanding. I'm a little put off that she wants to just come in and like break up Charles and Edith. So he kind of puts himself in the middle. Maybe he could mediate a little bit and get this kind of figured out. He took Susan to Charles to kind of confront them. Now, remember, I this is all being pieced together from old timey articles and whatnot. So forgive me. It's not like super in-depth. It's, we have right. as much as we have here, people. <laughs> um, so Benjamin's like, listen, Seuss. Susie, good old Susie Q. That's right. I know where Charles is living, and it's too late to go there tonight. This is kind of like the other old timey case where it's like, let's go and meet up and search the house tomorrow because <laughs> it's improper to Forget go this it today. Late. We need to prepare. Yep. So they're like, we will leave at first light tomorrow. In the meantime, you can stay at my house for the night. So she does. Everything's uneventful. And they, um, they're, they're headed off. Now, Benjamin doesn't know the exact location of where Charles is necessarily staying, but he figures with all the ties in the town, he's going to be able to find out. So no problem. She can stay the night. The next morning, they'll um, start off, head off to where they think that he might be staying. And that is in a town named Roanoke. When they arrive in Roanoke, they went to a village that was a a predominant um, African-American community that was still, that is, was very, very like tight knit. So if they begin asking around of anyone who knew Charles and Edith, and they know that Charles is mulatto and Edith is a white woman, they figured that it wouldn't be very hard to pinpoint them and not get them mixed up for any other people. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? So, um, so they start talking to some townsfolk. Benjamin's also just kind of like a very straightforward dude. So he lets the cat out of the bag and is basically like, listen, we made the journey to Roanoke because this dude is possibly, you know, is saying he's married to this Edith woman when really he's married to Susan and here's these papers. So what do you, you know, where is he at? We, it's almost like this angry mob. Like we've got getting getting involved in, you know, in all of this. Some of them were really shocked, but because had been introducing in Roanoke Edith to everyone as his wife. So there, none of them like really had any clue what was really going on. And they tell him, Yep, we know where he's staying. He's up the road at a house that was owned by George Washington. Not that George Washington. Oh, not the George Washington. Not the George Washington. So when they arrive to George Washington's home, they knock on the door and George answers. Susan and Benjamin introduced themselves themselves and asked him if Charles was there. Like, hey, hi, I'm Susan. I'm Benjamin. Hi, George. George Washington. Do you have a Charles living here? Now, George was a little reluctant 
to say one way or the other because this is odd, right? Like this random dude and this random woman. So Susan tells him what's going on and is like, listen, here's the facts. Here's the marriage certificate. He's been telling everybody that his wife is Edith. I'm the real wife and I'm here to confront him about it. Like freaking good for her because this day and age, 1891, she literally could have just went off and married some other guy. Absolutely. But instead she goes all the way from Chicago to Virginia, Illinois to Virginia. That's a lot of effort. Yes. To confront these two. I'm here for I, it. I don't hate I respect it. this. Yeah. So very confused. Obviously, George is like, um, okay, yeah, I know where they're staying. Uh, they're in the back. They're currently listening to this whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so they bring Charles out oh, in George Washington's home. And they confront him about what the truth is. Now, at first... Charles pretends that he doesn't know Susan at all. Denies knowing her. (laughs) Oh, my God. But at this point, they can tell he's lying. No one believes him. And he eventually confesses to what he's done. Well, yeah, dude. Like, why wasn't that your first strategy? I love the attempt. Like, I'm going to try. Never seen this woman before in my life. Oh, she's got the marriage certificate. Oh, oh, That's that. my signature. Oh, that. oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah. It's ringing it's all a bell. <laughs> Getting some vague memories, Susan. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Susan Samsonite. Right. <laughs> Susan Watkins. Yeah. My last name. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Okay, I remember now. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> I'm up to speed now. I, I'm sorry. So he says that, you know, yes, when he was with Susan, he didn't mean to, but damn it, he fell in love with Edith. Oh, gosh. You know how that sinful lust will prevail. The loins will burn for the flesh. Now, knowing that Susan, or Dundon, as I accidentally typed in my notes, (laughs) it's Susan, but I definitely wrote Dundon. Uh, knowing that Susan would never accept a divorce, gee, you think? Because she followed your ass through states to confront you. Yeah, so she's like, like I'm, I'm getting to the bottom. Like, of how this. did she know where he went? I, I mean, that's some serious sleuthing. Girl has some skills. Never underestimate a scorned oh, woman. Oh, when you need to find something out, you're mm. gonna find it out. Oh yes. If if Trust she can me. go across the the damn country, and, like at 1891. Oh yeah, and pin him down. Like, no one is safe. We've become lazy in our Facebook stalking. We have. We All have. we have to do is type in a few things. We do not know the pain yeah. of the Susan's over here the like, women before us. I'm getting on this train mm-hmm. or horse what or station, whatever. What? Where do I go? She found him. She's my hero. I know. So he's like knowing his wife is like, yeah, no, bitch is persistent. There's no way she's accepting a divorce. So I'm just going to go ahead and run off yep. with Edith. And disappear from Susan forever. Yeah, nice try. Wow. Susan Charles. found you. Charles, how'd that work out for yeah. you, buddy? Susan found your she ass. She found your ass in 1891. I love it. I love also that he tried to pretend he didn't know who she was. <laughs> standing That's my in, favorite part. Standing in George Washington's living room. Like, well, I don't know who this is. I'm sorry, probably in his parlor, because that's where you took guests. <laughs> right? The parlor. Yes. <laughs> Charles explained that although he and Edith were not married at this time, and since they were an interracial couple, it would be near impossible for them to become married, they just decided to live as a married couple, which does make me sad. Yeah. That's that's not okay. But this whole time, Edith had really not a whole lot to say about this because if you think about it, in Susan's perspective, she's the bad guy. Oh, yeah. And in the other's perspective, she's a woman going after a married man. Sure. So she she kept her mouth pretty shut through this whole thing. So seeing Edith's pretty obvious, I don't know, complete discomfort, probably as bad as like crabs or the clap, um, <laughs> Charles decided to take her away from all of this and was like, you know what? I'm going to take you away, but I'm going to come. Susan, 
I'm going to come back. We're going to talk about this and sort this out. Okay. Yeah. Separate your women first. Right. right. Step one, separate the women. That's what he does. That night, a light rain had come in when Charles and Edith leave the Washington home. Because now George Washington isn't having any of this shenanigans in his house. Uh Uh-uh. No. No, you have deceived him. It is. So kindly see yourself out, sir. Yeah. So they do. As the day went on, Susan and, and Mrs. Washington got to know one another. George spent some time putting together several different sleeping arrangements for everyone. Because remember, Benjamin, they've traveled quite a distance yeah. at this point in time. And so there's needs to be a, a appropriate sleeping place for Susan, one for Benjamin, who helped her. How nice of George. Brought him to Roanoke. Or brought her, excuse me, to uh-huh. Roanoke. So really late. He does return. They didn't expect him to, but he did return. And he did not, he no longer had Edith. He explained that he had taken Edith to his grandmother's house up in the mountains and came all the way back. And he said that he wanted to talk to Susan alone. So he had made arrangements on his own for a buggy ride. Nice. 1891, man, for the two of them. And Susan was like, no. Nope, I'm not going on a buggy ride with you alone. That's not happening. So Charles was like, okay, okay, I understand. They all spent the night together in George Washington's house having awkward conversations and no one really coming to any sort of agreement here. The following day, Charles again asked Susan if he could speak to her privately, if they could go out alone. He said they they had some things that they need to take care of that they needed to sort out. And again, she refused to leave George Washington's home. I'm not blaming her. Me neither. Mm-mm. Now, at this point in time, Charles is getting pretty pissed off. He's visibly annoyed and leaves after asking and not getting the reply that he wants it's like, to. Why won't you come with me to mm-hmm. isolated areas, Susan? Right, Susan. After I just dropped my mistress off with my t- grandmother. Right? I just want to talk to you with no one around for miles. What right. is wrong with, with no this? witnesses, Susan. How on <laughs> You are so unreasonable. You're so unreasonable, Susan. So it was during this day, so he leaves, and during the day, Susan, who had befriended Mrs. Washington, confided in her that he was that she was really scared to leave with Charles. She said that she was very suspicious of his behavior, that she didn't trust him, that she wanted to work things out like from their marriage. I'm sure that there are assets and things like that that they need to sure. work out. Like even if she doesn't necessarily want to make the marriage work, like I think she really just wanted to confront him, expose him and but yeah, like you let's know, settle this. Yes, properly handle things. But she doesn't necessarily want to be with him or be alone with him. And she confided that much in Mrs. Washington. So at about 6 o'clock that night, he came back and he came back demanding, causing a scene, causing a ruckus, demanding that Susan come with him and saying, we're not going to be able to work anything out unless we can do this in private. And he was being so boisterous at this point in time and so disruptive that Susan felt like she needed to just to no longer disrupt the Washington's home. Oh gosh. She had really befriended Mr. And Mrs. Washington. So she didn't want to put them out anymore. So she gathers her things and she goes out just after six o'clock with Charles. I'm sure since you know this is a true crime podcast. I don't know where this is Um, going. Susan does not return to the Washington home. No. I don't even feel like she was like trying to stop him from being with his mistress. No, I really think that she was just trying to confront him, possibly settle the marriage asset, you know, settle... The things, maybe get what's rightfully hers. I don't know. I couldn't find any information. Again, this is an 1891 case. So um, if there were financial assets, something that he had taken that she wanted her share of or or back or anything like that, or if she just simply wanted to expose him for the lustless piece of garbage he was. I don't know. Is lustless a word? (laughs) It is now. Yeah, yeah, you get it. Full of lust. This is just, it It just makes me mad. Like, what are you thinking? He's insisting on getting her alone. I mean, he's already made himself super suspicious. Right, right. <laughs> so then what are you going to say after she doesn't come back? And at this point in time, 
what can't you say in front of Mr. and Mrs. Washington? Like, because you've already made a fool of yourself pretending you didn't even know your wife. Yes. Like, so like, there's no assets or anything that you can't settle in front of these people. So he has to throw a man fit to get her to finally do this. Yep. Yep. The next day, a young boy named Lawrence Anderson was out working with his friends. Uh, He and his friends were pulling an ox cart around town, gathering firewood, loading it into the cart. And another boy that he was friends with had just come up from um, a nearby creek. And he was looking shocked, looking scared. And the boys could tell something was wrong. And he's like, what's going on? He said, you know what? It looks like there's a dead body near the log crossing in the creek. Now, Lawrence knew of the log crossing. So Lawrence was actually one of the people who had placed a big log in the creek to cross over it. Uh And so he knew exactly where he was talking about. And so he actually figured because the bark had worn away from that log. So he had actually figured that someone had slipped because it had been raining that someone had slipped on that log trying to cross and either hit their head or maybe possibly drowned. So he runs down to the creek with his friend, thinking that maybe they could help save someone. And when they get down there, they realize that this person that they see is gone. Yes, is actually submerged in the water. It was a woman. She was partly adrift, so her head was in the water and her legs were up on the embankment. And after this discovering this, Lawrence ran into town, alerted the authorities, and quickly the police come. They did immediately send for a medical examiner, you know, who was probably in another town. It <laughs> right, takes them right. a little while to get there. But at first, they actually thought the same thing, that she had slipped, that the woman that they don't know, they don't, you know, she's not a regular in town, so they have no idea who this woman is. And they figure like she probably slipped and hit her head and then fell into the water. But as the medical examiner gets there and they look further, they realize that the damage to her head is way too severe. And there is no way that she slipped. And the medical examiner is like, no, this is foul play. Something went on here. Good they, job, medical examiner. Yes, of the 1800s. <laughs> way to go. He deduced that she had been hit with something heavy and it, this was damage was not done by the fall. and But he did say that they have to do a full out autopsy to make sure. But no one recognizes this woman. So they think that she was new in town or that she was visiting. So they start asking locals if they had seen a young woman in town. And some of the locals were like, actually, yeah, there is this woman named Susan Watkins. She was looking for her husband, Charles. And... She said that her husband, Charles, had been living with another woman at George Washington's house. So so they're like, okay, this has got to be the same woman right. because it's a small town and it's 1800s. Like everyone knows everybody and what color they And poop. what they're doing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they went and find went to find Charles Watkins and his mistress, Edith. Officers go to the first place where they, you know, knew Susan had been. And so they head to the Washington's house. When they arrive, they spoke to Mr. and Mrs. Washington. They explain why they're there and what's going on. And they asked if Susan was at their home still. And George told the officers that she had left the evening before with Charles and never came back. He also told the officers that Charles had recently taken Edith to his mother's house. Okay. So he's like, if Charles is anywhere, it's probably at, you know, his mother's or his grandmother's, like right. wherever he took Edith, that's where he's at. So the authorities actually knew Charles' grandmother and where she stayed. They're like, no problem. We're going to go check there. But it takes a little while to get there because she lives in the mountains in a wooded area. And they're not like super, it's not like they travel it frequently. So Charles was able to get there and back in a day. But like the police, it was going to take a little bit, you know, a little while. So as they're heading to Charles' grandmother's house, the medical examiner takes Susan in for an autopsy. And they find that whatever had happened to her, it clearly wasn't robbery because she had several pieces of jewelry on at the time of her death. She had several gold rings, one with a diamond, a nice watch, and other jewelry. Obviously not robbery, or those things would have been taken. That night, late that night, 
They arrive at the home of Charles' grandmother and where they were met by Lucy Watkins and Taylor Watkins. Now, they were related and lived with the grandmother, with Charles' grandmother. They explained how Charles had shown up a couple of days before with Edith, and they'd let her, they had um, let Edith stay there because Charles was leaving her there, and he went to talk with Susan and come back the next day, which can you imagine showing up at your grandmother's house and being like, could you take care of my mistress while I go clear things up with my wife? Right. Like, hey, keep an eye on her while while I go murder my former wife. Yeah. Yeah. So they um, said that he went to talk with Susan and that he came back the next day. And when he did, he seemed on edge and that he and Edith had left that afternoon. So they mentioned that Edith had been with them for the past couple of days, um, but that everything was fine until this morning when she left with Charles. So the officers are like, great. Now where do we look for him? They're basically at a dead end. They had missed him. So the Salem officers were checking with train stations to see if anyone matched the description of either one of the people, you know, Edith or Charles. And, um, Someone was like, yeah, I actually think that there's a dude that matches that description that purchased a ticket for one train, but no one could recall seeing him like get on the train. Just before she was leaving town, someone spots Edith and did give that information to the police because Edith had actually returned to George Washington's home to pick up the remainder of her things. Now, I don't know if she was really supposed to do that if this was part of the plan because they had separated, like they were going to take two separate trains, but Edith went back to George Washington's house to get her stuff. She's probably like, I'm not losing all my stuff just over this man's drama. Yeah, probably. When officers arrived, she was just about to leave their the Washington's home. Officers arrested her on the sprot. The sprot. The sprot. Yep, they did. They arrested her on the sprot and brought her in for questioning. The coroner's jury had also been assembled to study the death of Susan Watkins. Now, remember, I um, mentioned the coroner's jury in the last episode. It was Mm -hmm. a thing. Yep, yep. So they're doing it in 1891, too. As they were examining Susan, Edith confessed of what she knew of the situation. Okay. She tells the officers that she had nothing to do with Susan's death and that Charles wanted her to leave town with him and join him in the village of Liberty. This information was passed to the jury who came to this conclusion. So the jury believes that Susie Watkins, otherwise known as Susan Watkins, came to her death between the hour of 8 p.m. on the night of April 6th and the hour of 12 noon on the 7th of April. So sometime between 8 p.m. and noon um, the next day. Um, from the wounds on top of her head and the fracture of the skull inflicted was more than likely by a rock, a large stick, or some other kind of hard instrument in the hands of Charles Watkins, and that Edith Freebell was an accessory to the act either before or after the murder. They believe that Edith knew his intentions of what he was going to do or had learned them when he came back to get her. I mean... Absolutely. It, it would be probably safe to assume that. Mm-hmm. I guess, unless he's manipulating. Right? I mean, he I has, he's proven he's shady. Mm-hmm. So the search was now on for Charles Watkins. The news of Sir Susan's murder was front page news. And the police were not the only ones who were looking for Charles. An angry mob had formed comprised primarily of African-American men who were mad that one of their friends could do something this horrible. Their numbers swelled in the hundreds, and they vowed to lynch Charles for his crimes. Wow. Yeah. They are just not standing for this. No. The mob surrounded the jail when a rumor traveled that Charles had been caught, but the sheriff had to reassure them that it was false and that they needed to leave. I mean, this mob was serious. Wow. They were after him. They Get were. Get your forks and, or pitchforks and lanterns. They're going after Charles. The authorities knew that they had to get him before anyone else did if they wanted a chance to convict him for his crimes. Seriously, because this mob is like not playing around. Mobs ain't playing. They are ready. They're going to kill him if they find him first. So weeks go by and there's nothing. 
No news of Charles, nothing. Officers were searching mountainsides. They were searching neighboring towns to see if he'd been seen there. But it was like he's just poof, just gone. During this time, the authorities believed that there would be there would not be any way to convict Edith, so they cut her a deal and let her go. Not goth. They let her go. <laughs> Literally just over your processing. I'm like, did she say goth? <laughs> I did. They let her go. So they cut her a deal and they let her go. Now, Edith was very suspicious of this. She le- left the prison, but she was, of course, hounded by reporters and oh, locals. I'm sure. I'm Absolutely. Sure. A reporter kept asking her what she's doing, where she's going. All of the, the local people were shouting angry mob type things at her and like telling her what a crappy dumpster fire of a person she is. So Edith was followed all the way to the local train station, literally run out of town. And she that's what she did. She bought a ticket. She got out of town. She did tell a reporter that she believed that she was being followed by the police. So she thought that they were watching her because they thought maybe she would lead them to where Charles was. Which, yeah, I could see how they're sure. like, they really don't have enough to convict her on. So it's like, maybe we could... Maybe that she'll lead us to him. Right. I I mean, I get it. But she told the reporter the joke's on them because she's just going to her mother's. She's going to go lick her wounds for all of her bad decisions and the drama that she's caused. Contributed to. I shouldn't say caused. Right. Contributed right. to. So it would be months later before there's a break in the case. Close friends and family of Charles suddenly started getting letters from someone who went by the name of S.G. Williams. Oh, I wonder who it is. Charles Watkins to S.G. Williams. In the letter, the author confessed to Sarah's murder and how he was working hard to get out of the country. Uh, S.G. Williams let on that he was actually Charles. Yeah, no shit. Oh, I'm astonished. What? We didn't realize that. And that he was working on lining up a job on a boat to go overseas. But it would be a one-way trip for him. So he was telling his family in these letters that he found a hotel to work at to make ends meet. Obviously, that's a lot of detail. Very much so. There's there's I, there's details there and just throwing off the name of S.G. Williams right. wasn't enough to throw the police off. So the police, <sighs> through the postal system, they're able to ascertain that Charles was actually living in North Carolina and... One letter that was sent to George Washington immediately was turned over to the police because George is a good dude. Charles isn't like the brightest bulb in the package. No. Clearly doesn't get the bigger picture. No, not at all. But I like that he's worried that his family cares about him. So he writes a letter. I must write under this other name. Confessing to Sarah's murder. And that it's and really him. All the details. Yeah, and by the way, it's, it's really me. P.S. This is Charles. <laughs> I think this is my favorite thing today. Right. Like, it just in case just you in were case confused, you it's me. It's me. It's me. And this is, this is my complete plan. So. This is where I'm at. This is my plan. So the, this is my confession after I wasted all of your time right. writing this yes. this letter. Yep. It is me. Yep. It is. I am him. <laughs> I love. I love it. I really love it. So it didn't take much for detectives to contact the detectives in Williamton, North Carolina. I, I am sure they were grateful for yes. Charles. And all of his and details in the letter. Yes. So they're like, hey, detectives in Williamton, will you please be on the lookout for Charles? This dude, he might be going by S.G. Williams. Which he confessed to. <laughs> yes. And they sent him a, them a copy of the letter and gave a physical description of him as well. So in North Carolina, Officer Ben Turlington made a big break. He was going from hotel to hotel checking to see if he could spot Charles. And guess what? He, he does. Did. Oh, gosh. Wow. He was working at the Island Beach Hotel. And that's where he asked if Mr. Williams, you know, S.G., was working there, and he's told, yep, he sure does. Well, he was head waiter, as a matter of fact. He had worked himself up to head well, waiter in all he, those months, he had Amber. A talent. Mm-hmm. He was competent in some things. S.G. Williams came out to see who was asking for him, and he was arrested on the spot. Officer Turlington knew it was Charles from the description that he was given. 
Charles was quickly brought back to Virginia. The mob that had gathered before that wanted to lynch Charles had since settled down and waited for the justice system. So there we go. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Many didn't believe that Charles would get a fair trial in court, but they also didn't think that he was innocent either because he's not. (laughs) Clearly. So at the trial is when we get a, a clear picture of really what happened. Okay. The trial started November 17th, 1891. After getting a jury into place, they were able to move forward. And the first person that was introduced as a witness was Lawrence Anderson, the ox cart Oh, yeah. Child that found. So he described the scene that he found um, Susan in and what he saw. The next witness was John Banks. He was one of the men who went down to view the body. He discovered tracks of what looked like a new shoe leaving the scene and heading into the mountains. He had followed the trail um, of footprints until it went cold, which actually I feel like is really brave. If you know someone possibly just murdered this woman and you're following, oh yeah, like they could be lurking behind a big tree waiting, waiting with whatever you. they just used on that person. Absolutely. Um, but a more profound account of what happened started to be told on the evening of the murder. Uh, Taylor Watkins. Now remember, Taylor lived with Charles' grandmother. Um, so this is actually, Charles is actually her uncle. She said that Uncle Charles came into um, his, did I say she? I'm sorry, I meant he. Oh, Taylor yeah, is a, is a boy. Yep, I realized that. Sorry. Taylor is a boy. So Taylor says, you know, my uncle start, came into the house, started talking about Susan and how, saying that Susan was threatening to shoot him and Edith. So this is what Charles account to his family to grandma and niece and nephew uh-huh is okay susan is threatening to shoot us i need to get all this figured out and so it was soon after this that taylor noticed someone coming up to their home and they looked like they were injured so taylor opens the door and a woman pushes her way in it was susan She started yelling at Charles and asked Charles why the hell he shot her. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Charles is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't shoot you. I don't even know you. (laughs) I barely know who you are. Who are you? Susan's hand had been injured, and she was asking that Charles take the ball out of her hand so that she could leave. He had freaking shot her. In the hand with an old school 1891 gun. And here she is chasing his ass up the mountains to his grandmother's house like, will you take me somewhere to get this bullet out of my hand? Oh my gosh. And then and Susan's literally like, just take me somewhere to get this taken care of. And then in this is Taylor's uh, testimony. She said, Susan said that then Charles could have his white wench. Take the one. Yes. I I confronted you guys like I wanted to. Just help me get medical attention. Now, they all stayed the night at Taylor's that morning. Or that, excuse me, Taylor's that day. Oh, my gosh. People don't stay the night during the day, Charnel. Sorry. <laughs> they all stayed the night at Taylor's. And then that morning, Susan demanded that Charles take her to a doctor to remove the ball from her hand. And then she's going to leave town. Like, she just kept reassuring that. So Susan and Charles leave that morning for town. So when the coroner said that she died somewhere between 8 p.m. on the 6th or noon on the 7th, they're not wrong because she was alive on the 7th. Okay. Um, Gotcha. I wouldn't have been wanting help from him. Me neither. Like, I'm He already tried to kill you. Yeah. He shot your hand. He literally was planning on killing you. Yes. just Go get your medical attention solo. Like he fit right. He failed at it. Went, go back to George Washington's house. I'm not yeah. victim blaming George is by a good any guy. means. Oh yeah, for, and, for and sure. I don't know. For all I know, maybe she tried to shoot him, and he took the gun and shot her. I I don't know. You know, so maybe that's why she's like, fine, a spade, a spade. <laughs> like you okay, know, fair. Okay, Just get me some help. But, right, right, right. And I will leave you alone. Now, a few hours later, Taylor really worried that something else might have happened when the news came that they had found a dead woman's body in the creek. So um, 
The jury heard the case. Doesn't take them long. They returned the verdict, and Charles Watkins was found guilty. The judge ordered that in January that of that very next year, so this was November 17th, so in January, he would be hanged. Yeah. Oh. At the Charles, at the Charles, <laughs> it's, it's late at night, people. At the trial, Charles seemed to have a mental break. He started acting odd, and he focused intently on religion. Guards began to describe him as like, a raving lunatic with his behavior, the court had to address it because the guards were so disturbed by him, okay? So many really believed that he was going to end up getting the ins- an insanity plea and that they would just send him to like a psychiatric mental institution or something like that, but that did not happen. They found him sane and his sentence was allowed to resume. On January 8th, 1892, Charles walked to the gallows that were built specifically for him He confessed to the crime that he'd committed. He gave a detailed account to clear his mind and to make peace with God. And he was also still acting very odd at this time and was talking like very in scripture, Uh basically, and often to himself. Like he kind of went mad with the whole thing. When he reached the top of the gallows, he was asked if he had anything he wanted to say. And he just shook his head. And then they placed the black cloth sack over his head fastened the noose, trigger warning, around his neck. And Charles fell several feet when the trap door was sprung. But as often happened with the gallows, the rope failed to break his neck, and it took almost eight minutes for him to die. Oh, God. Yeah. Why? Both of these cases, I was like, the way that the people were executed was just That's pretty bad. But this is why you don't murder someone. Right. Like you just really shouldn't. Um, so do you think Edith had more to do with this? Because she literally just like disappears. Like what do y'all think? Do you think that Edith was just manipulated by Charles like everybody else? Or do you think she kind of got off on this? Now, oh. uh, like she literally just was able to leave town and they never gave her any second thought. Right. They didn't even think about it. That is hard They to all say. stayed the night together. Okay, think about that. They, sh- the woman's got a, his wife has a bullet in his hand and they're all just, just there together. Out. Such an odd situation. Right? Maybe at that point is when she's like, okay, you shot her in the hand. I'm going to leave. I'm going to my mom's. You know, you two figure this crap out. Right. And then they went their separate ways and he went, I mean, maybe she really didn't know anything about the, you know, the murder. She clearly knew he had tried to murder her once. I was going to say, I find it hard to believe she would be that clueless, but. But if you think about like the way that they separated in the morning and she, she died on the 7th, like they all, I mean, there was testimony from his nephew Taylor that, yeah, they stayed at my house that night and they all, you know, left together, not Edith, Susan and Charles left together to go to town to get her medical attention. I mean, it could be a. And Edith returned to George Washington's house to get her stuff. So I just, I don't know. That it could or else- be a total 1800 Scott Peterson case where she didn't really know anything. Yeah, that's true. Is the other woman. I don't right. know. Or it's possible that he in the night he was like, listen, I will take care of this. You go get a plane ticket. Or plane ticket. Yeah. <laughs> you go get a train ticket <laughs> a to your mom's. ticket. Yes. And a horse ticket. And I will, uh, I'll find you. Yeah. yeah, I'll find you at your mom's. I don't know. It is hard I to I mean, say. they did run away together, so they they were clearly in love. I just, I wonder, I personally think she had more to do with it than what came of it for her. That's just me personally. Because yeah. I could see I them too. conspiring in the dark of night. In the darkness. Yes. Yeah. Like, I, okay, you go to your mom's. I'm going to go help her get medical attention. I'm going to lay low for a while. And then we'll meet back up together. That being said, he's such a poor planner. That True. He thought that he could just go from Illinois to Virginia and leave his wife. I mean, this does have undertones of his own planning. It so I don't know true. if he did have help. That's a good point. <laughs> that is a very good point. Um, oh. I have a brain bath for us if you would like I one. I would like one. It was sent in by our Patreon. and oh, which one? Um, which one? Jason. Oh. Our Aussie. Yes. And um, this is Amber. 
This is a good one. I I believe after reading this one, we we are passing the um oh the trophy the trophy the fake metaphorical trophy yes it is passed on who had it last one of our other was it the outhouse it was Uh, the outhouse it was a Mm -hmm. a turd trophy it was so it's gonna be passed to jason now he's (laughs) gonna have it the metaphorical It's, it's a good one the fake trophy that doesn't exist only in our minds but it's such an honor to have this trophy so this is from the new york post and here's the title woman's UTI was actually glass tumbler lodged in bladder for four years. This is from March 16th, 2022. I can't even like, I can't even. My bladder hurts. I read the whole thing I just got the shivers. My bladder hurts right now. Ooh, there's a picture. Mother of Lord Jesus, baby. I know the picture. The picture. Oh my God. Okay, I got to read this because other people can't see this picture. It's an yeah. audio program. Yeah. A woman who doctors thought had a UTI actually had a glass tumbler stuck in her bladder for four years. The 45-year-old had come to the hospital complaining of typical lower UTI, urinary tract infection She's symptoms. got a little infection. Yeah, such as leaking. Okay. But doctors were left stunned when scans revealed there was a glass inside her bladder it was encased by an eight centimeter wide so that's three inch wide bladder stone which are normally so small they are hard to see with the naked eye the woman from oh i don't know tunisia (laughs) (laughs) this has got to be a joke tunisia says it's is my dyslexia kicking in? Tunisia. <laughs> I think it's tu- Tunisia, Tunisia, but Tunisia. I'm cold reading this, so don't at me about it, okay? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's Tunisia to me. <laughs> yes, yes, oh, I Tunisia. <laughs> so they she re- uh, revealed that she had used the drinking glass as a sex toy a number of years before. Evidently, she had inserted it into the urethra. How? No. How? No. How do we? My urethra is rebelling against this entire thing. My urethra is crying right now. Which, if you don't know, that is the hole from (laughs) which a female urinates. That's not the vagina, people. Not the vagina. That could not have been pleasurable. Oh, the photo of it afterwards. The encasement. How did she do this? Her case was published in a medical journal, including the astonishing scan and an image of the glass and bladder stone. Mother of baby Jesus. Let me see that picture again. Look at that stone. Oh, God. You guys, it is like an entire glass, and I do mean an entire glass. It's a full, yeah, This is a tumbler. This is a, if I drank a Captain and Coke out of that, it's so big I'd be drunk. How did you, how did that get into the tiny little hole? I'm guessing it ain't so tiny. (laughs) Now. Not her first rodeo. I wonder if she knew how to appropriately masturbate. Okay, clearly not. You're going to ask that question? Mine doesn't include a tumbler or my anything in my urethra. And no. hey, we don't stink kinks because I do know that is like a, a thing that some people do. Uh, it's uh, oh, pain isn't for me. I was going to say nothing's, but, nothing's going up there. Nothing. But the bladder stone, our body's way to protect us from things, foreign objects like it this. Like, that bladder stone, you guys, looks like, like an entire. It, it is. It's, it is like an entire rock that just formed around it. That's incredible. I mean, wow. Why do we always choose glass to masturbate with, people? Why? I'm not sure. There's plenty of rubbers and. Does it make us feel bougie? I, do, I don't know. Is that what it is? Classy? Yeah. Uh, Mar- What's next? Marble. So while the medical report does not mention it, the woman may have been practicing what's known as urethral sounding. The risky activity involves inserting a glass or object into the urethra to heighten sexual pleasure and arousal. I argue that it does not. I, I detest. <laughs> I object. <laughs> Objection. <laughs> 
Doctors have had reports of people deliberately placing things there either due to mental health problems or for pleasure, but it is not recommended. I'd say thank you <laughs> thank for adding you. that. Even on a bad day uh, when my mental health yeah. isn't well, I wouldn't Never. Never. reach for a tumbler. Never. The report noted the motivations most frequently associated with the presence of foreign bodies within the bladder are of a sexual or erotic nature. Various objects have been inserted into the bladder and many patients fail to remove them. I'm sorry, I clicked on the picture. That was a mistake. <laughs> Not only did I lose Zooming my spot. On it. Exactly. I lost my spot in the article and then also was faced with a close-up <laughs> of the object. Of, of the horror. Various objects have been inserted into the bladder and many patients fail to remove them themselves. I don't see how you could. And or and are very embarrassed to seek medical advice. So the art or the um, medical report said that she had actually suffered like inflammation of the bladder several times, but it had never been fully investigated. Like with an image, they never did an image. They just treated the symptoms, but never did a scan. So the woman didn't have any blood in her urine, nor was she suffering from like incontinence, incontinence or anything like that. I was just gonna. I was just envisioning how the urination process went apparently probably like a fire hose well apparently it was okay like they she just had inflammation like she was treated for inflammation of the bladder over the years and her blood work looked good other than she had a higher than normal red blood cell range indicating that her body was fighting an infection but they just treated her for an infection each time so bladder stones, usually very small, develop from hard masses of materials that grow around, grow when urine is not properly emptied from the bladder. So her body was treating that entire tumbler, that entire glass, as being like, like urine that wasn't, you know, leaving the body. So it just created the stone around it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, of course they re- they did surgery to remove it. And then they cracked cracked it open to expose the still intact glass, which had been in her body for years. That is crazy. Two days later, she recovered and was well enough to go home. Isn't I that just, freaking crazy? I can't. Jason, you've really undone, outdone us all. You here. have a trophy. Those pictures shaped like as a tumbler now. S- <laughs> it is a tumbler. It, ha- it, it can be no other thing. <laughs> You win. You've got the bring Congratulations, back award. Congratulations, my friend. Yep, yep. It feels good to have it. Take your tumbler. Yep. And Here, hold it proudly Here's high. your your masturbation tumbler. Oh, just for you. I, Yikes. How, where do we even go from this one? What else could we possibly find? I don't know because Challenge I, listen, to all I those. thought Christmas tree up the vagina was going to take it forever, but here we are with tumblers yeah. up the urethra. Yep. So we're putting that challenge out there. Yeah, that's right. Send us what you got, people. Yeah. Get the trophy. Yeah. Crime curious at yahoo.com. Um, or I will our messengers. Forever be clenching my urethra. I feel like most of our lower extremities are just Clench. always in a tension filled. They should be state. muscle muscle game should be strong. Mm-hmm. Kegling all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lord. All right. Well, thanks guys for listening. We hope that you keep it curious and keep coming back to listen to us. And uh until next time. Bye. Bye. Please keep your tumblers in your cupboards. <laughs> Please. <laughs> when do. not in my mix. God. All right. Bye bye.